Hello, this is Pierce. I will be reading today's Bible verse in Thai. 2 Thessalonians 3:3. พี่น้องทั้งหลายในที่สุดจงอธิษฐานเพื่อเราเพื่อคําสอนเรื่องขององค์พระผู้เป็นเจ้าจะได้แผ่ไปอย่างรวดเร็วและรับเกียรติอย
My outline this morning is really, really simple. What we pray and why we pray. What we pray and why we pray. So first of all, let's look at verses 1 and 2. We're looking at what we pray. Uh, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honoured as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. Now, this is one of eight encouragements to pray uh, in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians or examples of him praying. Now, this one is actually for him. He's asking for prayer for himself. Uh, And it's a prayer actually for all who are involved in spreading the gospel, which is every Christian, isn't it? Some of us do it full time. Some of us... uh, are people who just spread the gospel in our communities, our workplaces. Uh, I don't think there's any such thing as a Christian who doesn't want other people to hear the good news of Jesus. Somebody said you're either a mission field or you're a missionary. You either need to hear the gospel or you're spreading the gospel. You're spreading the good news of Jesus. And that's what we're confronted with this morning. So there's two things that Paul asks for prayer for here. Uh, Firstly, that God's word would speed ahead and be honoured. And secondly, that he would be delivered from wicked and evil men. So basically, Paul's one prayer point is for the progress of the gospel of the good news. That it will get to everyone. And there's two things that he wants. That that, uh, the gospel will speed ahead. Literally, it means to run. Uh, it's interesting, this word, every other instance of its use in the New Testament is about somebody running. And Paul talks about himself running a race. Uh, it's as if he's saying here that God's message, the word of the Lord, is in a race. It has legs. It's out there running. And the imagery here is it's of the games like uh, in the Olympic Games where people run. And uh, it's as if every believer is in the stands cheering the gospel on or they're at the training track cheering the, the gospel on or they're in the broadcast room cheering the gospel on as broadcasters do sometimes. They're very biased, aren't they? And uh, this is Paul's picture here. The gospel's got legs and it's running and we're all cheering it on. That's what he wants us to do. Pray for that to happen. Now, the Thessalonians had been doing that. Um, We learn from the the first letter uh, in chapter 1, verse 8. This is what Paul is is saying about the Thessalonians. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Archaea, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. How encouraging is that (laughs) for this evangelist to be writing to people that where he planted the church a couple of years before and he's saying, you guys have been so good at this, it's gone everywhere. Places up to 500 kilometres away, we see from this map. Now, if we're thinking about this in terms of our situation, right, it would be like as if we became Christians, all of us, in 2019, and by now, the gospel has spread right throughout Victoria and up into New South Wales. That's the 500, and down into Tasmania. This is astounding, isn't it? And Paul here is saying, please pray for that 
to keep happening. Now actually my image of us being spectators and the gospel running, it's a bit inadequate, isn't it? It's actually a big bit inadequate. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? You see someone become a Christian and say, how did that happen? You know, I had a conversation with them years ago and here they are, they're a Christian. And it does feel like you're a spectator. But the Thessalonians weren't just spectators to this, they were active participants. Uh, it's more like being in a relay for them. They've received the gospel and they're taking the word of the Lord to others and passing it on. And that's how God wants us to be, isn't it? That we are people, yes, we've received the gospel if you have. Uh, if you haven't yet, I hope that happens for you this morning. But if we're people who've heard the word of the Lord, understood what Jesus has done for us, uh, then it's our job to pass that on, even at a human level, out of love and concern for the people around us. And so God uses different people in different circumstances to do this, doesn't he? It's like a relay. If you ever sit down with somebody who's come new to church, and I hope you do that frequently, and you chat with them, what you find out is that God's been working. And uh, I was chatting with someone this morning. He said, 17 years ago, God did something. And as we sit down and talk to people, uh, we find out that, yeah, God's been speaking through somebody, or they picked up a Bible somewhere, or even some non-Christian said something to them that made them think about following Jesus and so what Paul wants us to pray for here is that will keep happening and speed up uh, and it will go everywhere I think all of us can look back on our own lives in this light too can't we even if you've been born in a Christian home you heard the gospel from your parents your aunties your uncles uh, people at school uh, people all over the place your youth leader and so on all of us can look back on our lives and see and track what God has done and see how this good news of Jesus has speeded along and finally reached us and got us across the line. A few years back, uh, we visited, uh, revisited Pakistan and we took our adult kids with us and uh, we went around all the places where we'd lived. And uh, one house we'd stayed in for, I think, two or three years. We, we went just to look at the house because somebody was living in it. And uh, anyway, this guy came out of the house. He said, oh, you remember me? <laughs> I said, um, no, I don't. And he said, you know what? I visited you uh, in 1992 and we had a conversation and you gave me a Bible. And he said, I became a Christian. I'm now working for a Christian organisation. He was doing development work and spreading the gospel. He said, there are 125 of my relatives, my tribe, who are ready to be baptised. <laughs> my, <laughs> yeah. my jaw hit the floor. I, here I was. I couldn't even remember talking to this guy. It was in a totally other context. Now, I'm not saying this to say how good is Sam, but to say, look, friends, that's, that, we can do that. We can lob a Bible. We can, we can grab one of these after and we can take it and give it to somebody or you talk to someone after church and you say, you know, do you know, if it's somebody new, say, do you, do you know Jesus or have you read the Bible or do you know much about Jesus? Oh, let me give you one of these if they say no. And I'd love to read it with you and I'd love to catch up with you. 
This, this is a way that we can speed, hastily speed the word of God, the, the word of the Lord. Friends, it's no accident that one third of our global partners are involved in Bible translation and scripture usage. Because we as a church are really committed to this. That represents a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year that we give to make that happen. And that is so good that we do that and that we pray for them and encourage them uh, to do that. Uh, because why? Because it is so important that people hear the word of the Lord in their heart language and, and are able to turn to him. So friends, we've, if you're not on board with this or if you need a bit of encouraging, let me encourage you this morning to see the word of the Lord speed. Now Paul uses the subjunctive mood here. If you're not a grammar nerd, the subjunctive is the mood of doubt. It's something that is a little bit uncertain. It may or may not happen. Now, why is Paul using that mood? Uh, because actually, it, the speeding of the gospel depends on us getting out there and sharing it. Yeah, God can do that on his own, but actually he's chosen you and me to be on his team. Not so we can just relax and enjoy being Christians and turn up on a Sunday and encourage one another. All that's important. But we're on his team so that we can spread this good news and speed this gospel in our workplaces, our homes, in our street, wherever. Christmas is a great time, isn't it? Why not, if you're not already doing this, have a street party. Invite everyone to your house. You don't know I'm planning to do that this year. We've moved to a new place. Just say, hey, come round, have some Christmas drinks and let's just chat. And it gives you an opportunity to say, hey, isn't Christmas a great time? You know, I've been a Christian for however long and Jesus... Mate, I'm so glad that he came to this earth. And the stats tell us that the people will listen. <laughs> people are more open since COVID to talk about Jesus and hear about him. More people in our community are praying. More people in our community are searching the internet to find out about God. We know that. There was a survey done a couple of months ago that tells us that. So why not take a chance with it? It's also the, the other bit of the May equation is, of course, God needs to act in their lives, doesn't he, as we take the gospel to them. Uh, and God does and will work in some people's lives uh, to take them along that next step. And maybe you'll be the one that's there when they finally are born again and you witness their birth uh, into the family of God as, as that relay keeps going. Second thing he asked them to pray for is that this word of the Lord will be honoured. So the imagery of the race continues here. And, but we finally, uh, you get the image of the podium where the athlete is on. That's uh, Kathy Freeman back in 2000 after winning the 400 metres. What a great race that was. And there she is on the stage. You know, and we were all yelling and cheering at home, or I was. If you weren't born then, you missed it. But anyway, um, <clears throat> it was so good, wasn't it? And we still honour her today. And friends, this is the picture that Paul has got here. That the gospel is, it will get along across the line in people's lives and the good news of Jesus will be honoured. And people say, isn't that fantastic? Jesus died for that person. They've come to trust him uh, and they've changed. Fantastic. That's what Paul wants to happen everywhere. He says, pray that this will speed up.
and get going. Now, there are lots of things, of course, that can hinder the running of the gospel, and that's what he talks about in the second half of this. He says, pray that we'll be delivered from wicked and evil men. Again, it's in the subjunctive, the mood of doubt. Uh, so there's lots of things that hold up the work of the gospel, the speeding of the gospel, and Paul prays particularly that they'll be delivered from wicked and evil men. Now the Thessalonians knew all about this. Uh, when the gospel first came to their town, uh, the locals started a riot to try and stop its progress right there in the first time that it came. And they rounded up the local thugs in the market. There were criminals for hire who, who went out and grabbed the Christians and brought them into the marketplace and so on. And uh, eventually the, the town officials tried to hose it down and they made them post bond, whatever that means. So most commentators think the Christians were forced uh, to put up some sort of, sort of um, what do they call it? Um, sorry? Yeah, bail money. That's, that's <laughs> uh, so that if, if they did talk about Jesus, they would forfeit that money. Uh, that didn't stop them, actually. It didn't stop them spreading it right throughout. And uh, it was quite serious. They had to smuggle Paul and his uh, friends out of, out of town in the middle of the night. So Paul's saying, pray that we'll be delivered uh, from such people. And he says, not everyone has faith. Now, this is a two-edged statement, I think. Uh, this is the very reason to pray for the gospel to run uh, because there are people who desperately need that message and don't yet have faith. And there's the other people, who faithless people, who will oppose the gospel vehement, vehemently. Now, Paul knows all about this because he was one of those people. <laughs> he tried to wipe out Christians. And on the road to Damascus, uh, Jesus appeared to him and he changed like that. And uh, whereas before, he was prepared to sacrifice believers to stop the spread of the gospel, he's now prepared to sacrifice himself uh, so that people can hear and so the gospel can run. Now notice again, as I said, this is in the mood of uncertainty. God may or may not deliver them uh, from these wicked and evil men. I vividly recall a talk I heard when I was in Bible college, and that's quite a while ago now, and it was in a series on the character of God uh, called The Everlasting God. It's now been published in that book. One of the things the speaker said was, he said, it's no use praying to God that you won't get mugged on the way home from this meeting tonight if you don't believe that God is sovereign over that mugger. If you don't believe that God is sovereign over everybody in every circumstance, you might as well pray to the mugger. This is what he said. <laughs> if God doesn't have control over that wicked and evil person. Of course, when question time came, somebody put in the question, uh, what happens if you pray that God will spare you from the mugger and you get mugged on the way home? You get hurt and injured. And old Dr. Knox, he sprang to his feet. He said, we have a perfect example of that in the New Testament. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he desperately prayed that he wouldn't get mugged, that he wouldn't get put to death. And he did the very next day. 
Uh, but God had a massive sovereign purpose in that. The salvation of billions of people and us who sit here this morning. And God has a sovereign purpose if we are opposed in what we do by wicked and evil men, if the, if the progress of the gospel is opposed in that way. Uh, Paul, of course, he wasn't far off losing his own life for the sake of the gospel. If the legend is, tradition is correct, about 15 years after this, the Apostle Paul was beheaded uh, because he spread the good news of Jesus. God had a bigger purpose. <laughs> That's why today we're sitting here listening to God's word through Paul to us as he asks prayer for these things. So that's what we pray for, the word of the Lord to spread and to speed ahead in spite of the opposition of wicked people. Why do we pray? Uh, that's in the second half of the passage. So this task of getting, letting the gospel speed ahead uh, in the face of opposition and lack of faith is a daunting one. It's overwhelming. And uh, we know that firsthand, most of us. Uh, for whatever reason, we find it really difficult uh, to get the word of the Lord out there. And so in verse 3, you have a but. We'll get to it in a moment. By the way, New Testament's full of buts. Uh, one of the greatest ones, the one I love, is from Ephesians 2. Look at this. Uh, Paul's been talking about how we're tangled up in our sin and we're dead and so on. But, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. What an incredible but that is. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. God raises us to life through what Jesus has done. So he says, but the Lord is faithful in verse 3. It's not, never mind guys, you can do it. Uh, think on the bright side. Yep, there's opposition. Uh, have confidence in yourself and your program. We've got the best program ever for reaching people with the gospel and so on. Now what Paul says changes everything is what? It's the faithfulness of God. It's not that we can pray great prayers and we ought to pray, but it's the faithfulness of God that is the game changer here. And that's what he focuses on for the rest of this passage. And it's interesting, isn't it? He goes to the character of God. That's the game changer, is who God is. And because God is even more committed to this spread of his word than we are, uh, we can trust that he's going to faithfully work to make that happen. Well, it's all very well to say the Lord is faithful, but what does that actually mean in practice? How does that play out? Paul goes on to explain Three key things that we can rely on God to do. Three ways in which he is faithful. Firstly, uh, to establish and guard his people. Those establish and guard, what great words those are. And by the way, he's turned now to the mood of certainty. God will do this. This is not something that may happen. God will do this. He will establish and guard you. Uh, the word for establish is used uh, in classical Greek in a physical sense of the buttresses on a wall that would keep it standing. Uh, if you have a close look at our chapel, there's buttresses all around it. 
uh, down each side. You can see on the next slide here, hopefully. That's the one. There's a buttress out the front. This building has been standing for nearly 150 years. And part of the reason is because it's got really good buttresses on it. Uh, the previous building fell over in about 15 years. You read the history. They had a wooden building up there in it. <laughs> and then they built this. Now, you can see from where the builders have cut in to make the new entry to the lift shaft, you see actually the wall, the brick laying's pretty higgledy-piggledy there, isn't it? And there's this, the wall's about this thick and the buttress is about that thick. <laughs> there's a really good illustration of what Paul's saying here. Yeah, okay, we can't really stand on our own, but what God's saying here, I, I'll, I'm buttressing you. I'm causing you to stand. This is our, you know, stand firm. This is how it happens. He will establish you. Um, so it's like God strengthening us so we can stand firm. Uh, like the stake that Sandy was talking about last week that's holding up his bush. If that stake wasn't there, the next breeze is going to fall over again. And this is the picture that Paul's giving us here. We're buttressed uh, by God himself. Uh, secondly, guard. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Isn't that a great word? You know, Satan is very powerful. Uh, but he's not more powerful than Jesus. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is in 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Friends, we try and fight Satan on our own, we're gone. But because Jesus is within us and Jesus is on our side, uh, Jesus will cause us to stand firm. He will guard us. It's very comforting. Second way that God's faithful is that he will do his work through the obedience of his people. Verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. That's an interesting sentence, isn't it? Where is Paul's confidence? It's in the Lord, isn't it? We are confident in the Lord that you will do what we say. Uh, Paul, as somebody who's fulfilling the Great Commission, uh, he's given these people the gospel, he's, uh, they've been baptised, and he's teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. That's the last part of the Great Commission. And he's confident in the Lord. He brought them and established them that the Lord will keep them the lord will help them to obey everything that he commanded thirdly you can see the faithfulness of god in that he directs hearts to love and to steadfastness that's the final verse may the lord direct your hearts to the love of god and the steadfastness of christ that may there by the way is not a uncertainty may the mood is i think they call it the optative i don't know if anybody knows what that means i didn't until i looked it up but it means it's his wish for them when leo know it's his this is his wish for them this is what he really wants for them that god would direct their hearts to the love of god and the steadfastness of christ the love of god what's he talking about there is it he's talking about god's love for them or their love for god you can take it either way in the translation and uh, I believe it's deliberately ambiguous because those two things are inextricably linked, aren't they? Uh, in our natural state as fallen human beings, uh, love for God's the last thing that comes into our minds. 
We want to hide from him because of our sin. But when God acts and helps us to see the glory of Jesus and what he's done for us, uh, then we, we, we understand that we can come close to God, not because we're good or anything like that, but because of what Jesus has done. And we experience his love in a very deep and meaningful way. And so we respond with love. And this is what Paul's saying here. My wish for you guys is that you'll understand more of God's love for you. You'll keep being directed to it. And you'll respond with your own love for him. The second thing he wishes for them is the steadfastness of Christ. What does that look like? Well, read the Gospels again and ask yourself, what does it look like that Jesus is steadfast? Over and over again, we see him steadfastly going towards the cross. Right early on, he's got, he sets his face uh, to go to Jerusalem. John eleven seven. this is always amused me I guess and saddened me as well uh, where Jesus is heading to Jerusalem and the disciples say you can't go there they're going to kill you uh, he said to his disciples let's go to Judea again the disciples said to him Rabbi the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again <laughs> and Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples Let's also go that we may die with him. Thomas is a bit of a doubter and a pessimist. He said, well, we might as well go and get killed as well. Jesus knew what was going to happen there. One foot after the other, he kept going. This is the steadfastness of Christ. Peter tells us as he went to the cross and all sorts of nonsense and lies and reviling was done to him. What did he do? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter says, follow that example. That's a massive challenge, isn't it? Uh, when we get confronted uh, with reviling, when we tell people about Jesus and you're told to whatever... Um, Peter says, follow Jesus' example. Don't revile in return. Trust yourself to him who judges justly. That's what Jesus did. That's what anyone who follows him must do. So, friends, here's the challenge for us this week. To pray and to work for the speeding ahead of the message of the Lord, of the good news of Jesus. Uh, I want all of us to think of one person this week that we want to do that for, to speed God's word into their life. And think of a way that you can do that. It may simply be that you'll take one of these and say, hey, we've got Christmas thing on at church. Would you like to come? I think you'll find it really helpful. That's a simple way we can do it this week. Uh, maybe you can share the essential Jesus with them or, or talk with them about your own experience of the Lord Jesus. And remember that God is faithful to buttress you, establish you, and help you to stand firm and to guard you uh, so that this message can get out. So that's what we pray, that's why we pray. God wants the gospel to run and he's faithful to make it happen. I want to finish with a quote from C.T. Studd who was missionary to India, China, Africa 
This guy went everywhere. And he wrote a poem called Only One Life. Look it up. Only One Life. C.T. Studd. It's a way long poem. But this is the kind of ref repeating refrain in it. It's only one life. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray uh, and come before our Lord and ask uh, that this will be our attitude as we work to see the word of the Lord speed ahead. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the example of the Apostle Paul who had so many troubles in his own life, shipwrecks and all sorts of things. And yet his one prayer point is that the word of the Lord might speed ahead and be honoured. Lord, help us to be like that. Help us to be like the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us as we go out this week to be directed to the love of God, your love for us, our love for you and your love for those who are yet to follow Jesus. Lord, empower us by your spirit and use us for your glory that our lives this week might be well spent in doing what needs to be done for Christ and for his message. And we pray it in his name. Amen.